This is episode 18 of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. Hello, hello. Welcome to today's episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. I'm thrilled to share my interview with Carolyn Hart, a Dynamo Canadian tech exec, where we dig into women in the C-suite and breaking through the glass ceilings. We are going to talk about the importance of curiosity and approaching life open to the magic of questions. I love Carolyn's spicy energy and her rich life insights, and you will too. And I want to share some of the inspiration I've been journeying through this past week. You see, I've been able to play in all kinds of powerful connections to inspiring women. Their empowerment, their stories, their voices, and their action. I feel really, really fortunate. And in fact, I'm doing today's interview in my Goddess Vibes sweatshirt just to celebrate all this fabulous yin rising energy in my life. A few days ago, I sat down and jotted down a list of all the things that had happened in a single week. And it was kind of mind-blowing. I felt this sense of awe and gratitude of being in alignment with what wants to flow from me and with all of the wonderful connections bestowed upon me from the whole week. Let me share a bit about a week in the life of me. Let's start back from last Tuesday. As a board member of the Women's Foundation of Colorado, I had nearly front row seats to see former First Lady Michelle Obama in a heartful and intimate conversation with the Women's Foundation CEO and my friend Lauren Castile. Never before have I felt so proud to be part of an organization as I did at this event. We had a mere 8,300 of our closest friends with us there, mostly women coming together in Denver to hear this conversation between Mrs. Obama and Lauren Castile around the topic of a world that cares about its women. This wasn't a political conversation. It was about uplifting and empowering women. One of my favorite quotes from the whole evening from Mrs. Obama was, I am a strong woman because of other strong women. Say it again. I am a strong woman because of other strong women. This rang so true to the core of my soul. I'm so thankful for my mom and my grandma and my aunts and my sister and my nieces. And I learn from all of them on a regular basis. I love the strength that is entrenched in my being because of how we have evolved and stood and grown together. It's, I feel very blessed because of this. And I'm guessing that you've got some really strong women in your life who have made a difference to your life. Today, I ask you to take a moment to think about who they are, to reach out and acknowledge them if they are here on this earth, and if they have already left this earth, to say a word of gratitude to them. I believe that they will hear you either way. So that was Tuesday. Now let's move on to Wednesday. First, I had lunch with two C-suite execs, and we talked in depth about women on public boards and why it matters, how it, drives up more, how it drives more fiscally sound companies. 
We talked about what it is we need to be doing to open up the door to getting more women on public boards. Now, this is a topic for a whole nother Extraordinary Women Radio episode, but the conversation let me up and the connections let me up. And then that evening, I hosted a women's empowerment dinner at my home with a group of rocking women who I thought just needed to know one another. I've been running these dinners on occasion because I'm always meeting so many cool, smart women. And as always, the women around the table inspired each other. They lent each other support and they brought new ideas to the table. They created new meaningful relationships that are going to carry on into the future. It was a beautiful ripple effect for certain, all based on community and all based on connection. On Thursday, I found myself at the Women's Foundation offices where we were selecting our final lo new logo for the Women's Foundation of Colorado. I've loved being on the brand task force that has worked together for many months, defining the future of this great cause that I'm so in love with. And while I can't give away the brand launch details or what it looks like or any of that, what I can tell you is that it's all about leading big change to help women succeed. It's about being a change maker for women, for their families, for our community and our state. And this is work that I stand behind with all of my heart. Then on Friday, I announced that my next Extraordinary Women Connect Gala is going to feature three Dynamo women who are leading other women's connection groups. I shared that we're coming together to play in some topics that are top of mind for so many of us connection, collaboration, and women leading change. We're coming together to talk about the movement that is underfoot of women claiming their voice, following their calling, and making a difference. So you can see all this powerful female energy that has been swirling all around me. Add this to all my amazing coaching clients that I get to work with every day, women who are finding their purpose, stepping up in voice, and boldly sharing their gifts with the world. And I feel very blessed and in flow with all that I'm meant to be in this world. It is about women sharing their voice with the world. And it is my big why behind why I do this podcast, right? It's like, this is what drives me is just getting women's voices out there. The inspiring stories that I get to uncover light up my world and inspire others. As you listen to today's interview with Carolyn Hart, I invite you to get curious about why you listen to Extraordinary Women Radio. Why does it speak to you? What lights you up? How are you coming together in community with other women? Why does it matter? How could you collaborate more with others who share your passions? How might you uplift other women in your life? Now let's dig in with today's guest, Carolyn Hart, who is the COO of Inspire Hub Technologies. Carolyn oversees marketing, communications, sales, licensing, and operations, and the development of the Inspire Hub technology platform. She's multidimensional, multi-talented, and with over two decades of experience in the technology world, she's got plenty of stories to share about breaking through the glass ceiling, a ceiling that a male mentor once told her really exists, before he helped her discover her own pathway to advancement early in, that, in her career. I love Carolyn's stories, the lessons she's learned along the way, and how it impacts the way she leads today. You will be inspired. Let's meet Carolyn Hart. 
Well, good morning, Carolyn. Happy summer. I can't believe it's already August. It certainly is. It certainly is. It's gone by so fast. It <laughs> happens every summer, and I don't know how it gets by. Every summer seems to go even a little bit faster. So tell us a little bit where you're calling from today. Um, I am calling from beautiful Canada. Uh, we're enjoying uh, a gorgeous summer here. Uh, I'm just outside of Detroit. In fact, uh, where I live is a little anomaly. Uh, when you stand where I live in Canada, you're actually looking north into the United States, which oh, is wow. uh, it's a it's a little thing that um, many Americans who come over here kind of it messes with them a little bit. They're like, I don't understand why I'm looking north, but uh, <laughs> that's where I live in, in Windsor, Ontario, just across from Detroit. Oh, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, so I love talking to women who have made it to the C-suite and you've done just that. So welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. And as you know, the number of women who actually break that glass ceiling at the C-level suite or at the C-suite level is really, really small. Corn Ferry just recently did an analysis of the top 1,000 revenue U.S. companies and found that only 24% of the C-suite women or C-suite leaders are women. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a really low number. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it, yeah, it really is. And um, it doesn't really surprise me. Uh, you know, in my career, uh, I am often the only woman in the room. And it's something that I've just become, I think, unfortunately, comfortable with. But it's just the nature of, you know, the industry and uh, even the leadership roles that I've taken on. Yeah. Right. It's I, I keep having conversations just even just this week with other women who about the number of women who make it onto public boards and that number's even smaller. It's like mm-hmm. it's under 20% of board seats in the S and P 500 are held by women. So there's lots of room for us to be shifting that. And I get really passionate about the work that is being done in our world to help shift this. And I love that you're leading at the sweet level. So let's talk a little bit about this. Absolutely. What would you like to know? <laughs> so I, I'm sure there's all kinds of stories that accompany your journey to this level. Is there a single instance where you feel like you really broke through? Um, you know, I have to say that my journey, I'm, I'm in technology. And as many people know, that's a male dominated industry. But oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, the blessed uh, situation I found myself in, which is truly extraordinary, was it was the 90s. And back in the 90s, um, the IT world was very, very different. In fact, back then, um, large Fortune 100 companies uh, did a lot of apprenticeships. They didn't actually, you know, today you go to school, you get your computer science degree, and then you get a job, and then, you know, you make your way through. And that back then, I just it just so happened I worked for this really progressive Canadian financial services company. And they did, they did things a lot differently, which we consider would be considered revolutionary in 2017. And it was necessity for them. And the first thing is in their tech support, they hired first for your personality. Um, so, you know, could you deescalate somebody? Could you help problem solve? And then they did a technical aptitude test. And I think the, the first, um, the first thing that happened for me, and, and this is really important. So think about this. This would have been 1996. And um, the tech support team was predominantly female. So I actually started my career um, not surrounded by men, but uh, by a group of 12 to 15. And uh, 12 of them were women who were mentoring me, 
talking tech, doing tech support, manning these phones for this financial services company. And uh, financial services is predominantly male. Tech is usually predominantly male. But I found myself in this bubble surrounded by um, highly emotionally intelligent and technically savvy females. And, uh, How wonderful and course, for you. Very wonderful for me um, and thought that was normal because I was very young in 1996, mm -hmm. um, you know, thought that this was just how it was. And it wasn't until I came out of um, that company and started moving into other Fortune uh, 500 companies that I realized how extraordinary it was that my entire IT foundation was just surrounded by women. And yeah, so, so what was that like? What was it like being in a space where you were mentored and guided by a group of women, very so smart women. Very smart women. Uh, what will shock people the most is that, because um, you know, you and I met because of my post on uh, bias and ageism and sexism, um, is that <laughs> people don't wanna hear this, but there wasn't that much difference uh, between the women, the group of women I was working with, and when I worked with a group of men, it was just different. It was just different bias, different um, types of sexism that were happening. Um, you know, jokes that probably don't belong in the workplace were still present when it was all women. So what that really, it kind of formed me, and this is one of the things that I find interesting, is that um, I realized really quickly that, you know, we get into a mindset where we think that things are one way because, you know, it, it's never had the opportunity but what I found, at least, and I'm not saying it was, it was obviously a one-off experience and it could have just been the group of women that I was with. Um, you know, they were pretty scrappy. Um, you know, the, the woman, I was, I was not yet, uh, no, I was 21 at the time and I was working with women who were in their 40s and 50s. Um, so, you know, they had obviously come through and seen a lot. And so, you know, they, uh, they were definitely strong, independent, would say whatever the what heck they felt like and they didn't care uh, who was listening. Um, and so this idea that there's this utopia that some people think, well, you know, if you, if you have all women, then it's gonna be perfect. If you have all men, then it's gonna be perfect. What I have found creates the healthiest teams is diversity. That, right. That's what I took away from that. Right, mm -hmm. right. And, and so the, 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 the biases might've been at a different angle on an all female team. Is that what Correct. you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So that, yes. that diversity of creating, creating teams that are much more balanced is what really makes a difference, makes an impact, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, not many people have had that extraordinary, um, situation happen. I think that in, well, I know this from talking with other women in tech that, um, my experience after that, where I was the only woman in the room for many, many years, um, you know, then I understood more clearly what, you know, other women executives were sharing about, you know, sexism and bias. And, and I certainly encountered it, you know, <laughs> over and over. Right. So there you have it. Yeah. Right. So you, you, you did experience it over the years. And, and what would you attribute your ability to be able to break through that multiple glass ceilings to reach the level that you've gotten to? Yeah. So I would have to say uh, single-handedly, um, I was handed uh, a gift in, in, the, um, in the role of one of my very first mentors. And he was a man. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and he just totally 
was the epitome of everything I wanted to eventually be in a leader, the way he treated his people, uh, the way he took, he took the first day of school off to be with his kids, the way he honored his wife and his friends and his family, um, the way he respected all of us. And um, he really, you know, he didn't treat me any differently than he treated all of his staff. He leaned into mentoring me to make me the best uh, professional that I could. And with that, he, he was the one who talked to me straight up about there is a glass ceiling. It's not imaginary. It is real. And what are we going to do? What are you going to do about that? Um, and there was a number of key things that he taught me during that time that I believe was absolutely the trajectory, the trajectory that changed my life. And one of the main concepts that he taught me that I think many, I share this with many women because um, it is a profound way. We are wired differently. You know, the fact that, you know, we should all be able to be fair and treated equitable, but, you know, science shows that brains between men and women are different. You know, we just are. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that he said, and it was so incredibly respectful, I've yet to have a woman tell me this is not true, is he gave me a really great example. He said, you know, if I walk into a woman's home, and I compliment her home, she is just thrilled, right? Like, she's just like, wow, thank you for saying that I have such a beautiful home. We just feel it. She um, put goes, a lot of effort into right. that, right? And he goes, you know, if I walk into a guy's home and I compliment his home, he goes, yeah, all right, thanks. Because the difference is that we women often see our efforts as an extension of who we are. Whereas um, he says, I'm telling you right now that, you know, a man is like this, they might see it. But a lot of times they just see their work as their work, their home as their home. It doesn't mean that's necessarily who they are. It's what they're producing. And so one of the best gifts um, my mentor gave me was when he, he told me to, you know, really understand that when people are criticizing my work, it doesn't mean they're criticizing me as mm -hmm. a person. Mm -hmm. And that the faster I could get to a point of understanding and actually going out and seeking criticism on the work and not getting defensive and not being offensive and just seeing it for what it is, then, you know, the faster I would be able to build my professional career. And he was absolutely right. And there's a lot of women who I've spoke with who said, you know, I've never had that actually explained to me in that way. And you're right. I do. I do take it personally when somebody critiques my work instead of just understanding they're just critiquing the work. It doesn't mean anything about who you are. Right. Right. It's a, it right. is a different, um, Mindset, And I think those two things, uh, you know, having that mentorship, um, being treated as an equal, they, that mentor was more um, committed to success than anything else in his team. So it didn't matter who you were, if you could get the job done, then you were going to be given the opportunity. And the fact that he really helped me shift my paradigms in different things um, within myself, that was the moment of, you know, being able to break through the glass and, and, you know, and move on. So, right. Right. So that being able to go and ask for that, that hard feedback and, you know, being open to hearing the hard feedback, how did that shift things? I mean, can you even come up with an example where you went and did that and it changed the relationship with the person that you had that conversation with? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's not just one example, it's multiple examples. So um, just think very practically when you put together a memo, a proposal, a project, whatever it is, this thing that you're going to be doing professionally, um, you know, we will often float it around to a few people and 
uh, they might have a few comments and edits. But um, one of the things that I actually teach within my, my company um, is something that I evolved over time, which we, is calling it the question game. And it's not enough to just put it in front of people and sometimes they'll say, well, I didn't understand this. I mean, you gotta, you gotta seek feedback. You need to be asking the toughest questions and asking those who are in your circles to be authentically honest. A lot of people are worried about, about offending you. Right. right. If they right. Know they that, don't want to say the wrong thing. Right. So right. Like, yeah, oh, great. They soften you, it. Great. You're asking me to give you feedback on something. But, you know, a lot of people, if you actually tell them the truth of what you think, they can get quite offended. So the way the way you actually get around that and you allow people to give you authentic feedback, the way that you actually build that bridge is by being the one who's like, here are the 10 questions that I am struggling with. So am I, am I, is this actually clear? Did you understand this? I mean, just coming up with as many questions and um, explaining to people, I, I'm putting these questions together. I know that there's more. Can you help me put some more questions that maybe I haven't considered into it? And suddenly it's not about, you know, offending you as the person. It's about participating in this action where we're asking questions of the product or the project or the proposal or whatever it is. And it, and it has a different feel to it. And then what happens with that is people simply, if you are asking questions and they are asking questions, this relationship forms, right? right? And right. you end up being able to be like, wow, that was a really different experience. That was, I really enjoyed how that person uh, did this, or I really loved the way they saw things differently. And so you end up building strong uh, strong and respected relationships. Right. And those strong and, re and respected relationships will always serve us um, in the long run when things get a little tough because you can go back to that foundation that you created, you know, all, you know, that early on and mm -hmm. you work through challenges in a much bigger, better way. Don't you? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would say that the, um, uh, going on a traveling trip with any friends, uh, the bumpier the road, the better the friendship is at the end. So. Right, right. Totally agree with that. And, you know, I found it really interesting as, as your boss at that time said, you know, the glass ceiling is real. How are you going to break through that? How are you mm -hmm. going to, wh what were the couple things that you did that, that you acknowledged, that you saw, that you um, saw an opportunity to, to work with? Yeah, so I think, I think that, you know, one of the things that um, he quite bravely told me is he said, you know, you may need to leave this company to come back at a higher level. Mm. Just, just accept that. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was, and I did, um, I did actually end up leaving the organization uh, with my mentor um, and, you know, and hold that entire, you know, not just that organization, but the other organizations are, they absolutely formed who I am and are amazing institutes. And um, I don't think that necessarily one team was fully representative of the whole company at all. In fact, at all, mm -hmm. I think it was an extraordinary situation that I was in. Um, but I do think that you, you have to understand that if, if people see you in a specific way, it's right. very hard for them to break out of that paradigm. So let me give you a specific example that makes me laugh. In that job that I held with that boss in that mentor who told me that, um, I was being held back from moving into a higher role because they said, you know, Carolyn, your technical skills are excellent, but we're really not sure about your marketing side, how strong that is. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, I did the typical thing. Well, what do I, I'm a young woman. What do I got to do to prove my marketing skills? Right. What classes do I need to go take? Like what, not even classes <laughs> at that point, because I'm in the workforce at that point. What projects do I need to get? Right. right? What are right. those successful things that I have to accomplish to prove to you I've got the skill set? Um, I, this is what makes me laugh. So less than three years later, I'm sitting in front of a totally different boss in a different city. True story. He tells me, you know, your marketing skills are through the roof, but I'm really not sure about your technical abilities. Oh, that's <laughs> wild. That's wild. And I started laughing and he said, what I said, you know, with all due respect, I, uh, I, and I, this is a small firm. I was like, do you understand? I worked at fortune 500, you know, doing very large scale tech. And he's like, I, I, oh, really? And so what I realized in that moment um, is that if you are in a professional capacity and you, the biases happen on every level, not just with how old you are or the sex you are or the race you are, your, whatever that bias prejudice is against you, it also forms in how people, how they interact with you and how they know you. So there are people in my community who know me as my, who know me in my technical capacity. Okay. They know that I write functional specs for the product that I built. They know that I, I am, you know, the lead problem solver of my development team. They know me in my IT capacity. There are other people that only know me as an economic developer and have no clue that I'm a technologist. (laughs) Okay. Because I did Mm -hmm. that for a season. And there's still another group of people who, even though I worked for a technical company, I was in a sales role and they never once engaged my technical skills. And yet, you know, I was able to obviously grasp all the complexities of the tech because of my tech background. They just didn't realize that I could also do the tech. Right. Right. And so I find it's interesting because I have these different groups of people who know me in different ways. So back to your question, how do you break through? At the end of the day, it's coming down to what is it that you're delivering and how are you delivering it? And so regardless of the fact that you have this huge basket of skills that you can be calling on, you for that person in front of you, for that, that's whatever, they've got the glass ceiling, maybe they don't want you sitting around the table with them, maybe they do, it really comes down to are you able to get it done for them? in whatever mm-hmm. capacity. And mm-hmm. I find when you make people successful, um, they're really willing to work with you. And suddenly the stuff that used to matter just doesn't matter anymore. Right, right. So certainly when you're making people successful and you are having those deeper conversations that change the relationships with the people. How about, I mean, so part of what I'm hearing here as well is, is that person, that importance of building our personal brand that in a way that shares all of what we bring to the table. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, I look back over my 20 <clears throat> something now career and I, uh, you know, there's, I've done quite a few things. I've been a serial entrepreneur. I've worked in fortune 100. I've worked in fortune 500. I've been a solutions consultant, a television producer. I produced my own television that I also wrote, directed and helped, you know, uh, co-host, I have done marketing things. I have done a real huge, I've been an economic developer. I, I led as vice president of economic development for the region uh, in which I live for three years. Mm-hmm. So I, ha- where do you begin? Like, it looks like I'm all over the place. If you look at my career, I'm certainly not, you know, right. you, for me, there was a very common theme in every single job I took 
in every single thing that I've done. What I have discovered is when I am sitting with uh, a person in front of me that it's not actually about Carolyn's. It's about them. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's about that person and mm. what are their needs. And so I have, I come to the table with a very wide and eclectic skill set. Um, and I can talk about a lot of things, but not everything is important to that person. You know, right. there's some people who could care less that I did television. They right. don't need to know that. There's right. other people who economic development. I actually had a woman once tell me as I waited to go in to meet with counsel, well, what do you do for a living? And I told her and she said, well, that sounds horribly boring. Like, <laughs> she had no interest. <laughs> I was like, you are, well, thank you for telling me that my life work at this moment is according to you, just the dullest thing that could be happening. I didn't see it that way. Right. Do you think, you know, in that moment, I didn't talk to her about economic development. As we waited, I started asking her questions about what she was interested in. And out of my background um, and the different roles, I was able to pull some things that we shared together. And I think that when it comes to my personal brand and who I am, when I'm sitting with people, I actually make it about them. And I ask them the questions, which is a beautiful um, thing about to have in a personal brand, right? So that right. That, that's that, that interest that being interested in other people versus always being interesting. Right. Yeah. Because the, the truth is um, I find, I do find people far more interesting than me. Um, they always uh, inspire me. And so my whole, my whole heart, when I'm sitting with anybody truly sitting with a person and they're talking with me, whether it's about their lack of engagement in the corporate workplace and, you know, can you help me with that? What, how do you do it at your company? Or if it's somebody sharing a personal story with me is I, I want to hear what's going on with them. And then I, we start, I start asking questions, you know, we play that question game and I start asking a lot of questions and, you know, sometimes the answer is answered by that person. I feel more like a, like a counselor than I am a consultant. I'm like, they're like, you have been so helpful. And I walk away and I'm like, I don't think they realize all I did was ask questions, but um, there you have it. You know, one thing I really love about your career as well is the courage that it's taken for you to step into roles that are very different from different, you know, I mean, you know, from the marketing to the technology to, you know, all these different pieces that you said yes to. And I think so often, you know, I mean, just going back to my own corporate day experiences from years ago, very often you would see that happen a lot with the men Mm. and women would go, you know, I'm very focused on a specific function. I'm going to stay in a function. Mm. area. Mm -hmm. And so I love the fact that you, you were courageous and said yes to things that were different areas for you to be working in. Talk talk to me a little bit about that. Um, I, I blame my dad. Uh, Ah, I love it. uh, Good daddies, right? Yeah. I, uh, my dad actually tells this story. He tells this story to people that when I was five years old, he took me to the Detroit zoo and he had never been a fan of zoos. Um, and the entire time we were there, I did not stop asking questions on everything, every single thing I saw for the entire time. And my father patiently answered every question. So one of the things that he instilled when you do that with a child and he, by the way, he did that, you know, my entire, um, you know, growing up was that he instilled with me that my curiosity was natural and good. 
You know, he never shut it down. He never shut right. down the, the bazillion questions. Um, and so I stayed curious and I love to learn. And I still annoyingly ask a bazillion questions. Like it just, <laughs> because I, I say the problem is my parents didn't discourage questions. My, my, my parents had this rule growing up where we, there was no question that was off limits. Every question was a good question. And so what, what would happen, you know, if you, if you haven't had this environment, like I know this, I teach this to my staff and to other people that um, scientists have shown that when you're a child, you'll ask 300 questions a day. That, right. that mothers are fielding 100,000 questions a year from their kids. Think about that. But then by the wow. time we get, it's amazing, right? And then by the right. time we get to middle school, it almost goes extinct in us. Because That's we end up- That's interesting. Right, so we go into this system where we start understanding where we are taught that giving answers is rewarding, asking questions are disciplined. We are told that questions are offensive because questions are challenging instead of understanding that questions are not challenges to your authority or to your ego. They are how we as humans seek knowledge, uh, right? It's, it's how we learn. It's, it's how we engage with the world around us. Why is the sky blue? Why is water wet? These are questions that all kids universally want to know. And then all of a sudden, by the time we're adults, we, we've removed that. And I think the reason why I have moved into this is because my curiosity, um, I love to learn and I love to ask questions. And so it wasn't kind of taken out of me as a child. In fact, it was empowered. And so I have moved into these different roles because what is more exciting than learning something new, doing yeah. something new, doing something that you've never done before. We do that all the time as children, even as young adults, we're trying on new experiences we're figuring out, you know, what hairstyle works, right? We're willing to try these new things. And then something happens, and I don't know why, but something happens where we stop. Yeah. We stop reinventing ourselves. We stop getting curious. You know, we don't wake up with that wonder anymore. We think we've known it all. Right. And what I find is that I used to think I knew it all back in my 20s. The older I am, the less I seem to know. And so right. Right. it's a it's this crazy, wonderful thing. And so... It's interesting that people um, see it, and I understand why they see it as a courageous thing to like get out of your comfort zone, try new things, reinvent yourself. Um, but for me, it was a compulsion based on this curiosity and just wanting to experience the life around me. Oh, I love it. And I love how you are bringing that to your teams now too. You know, even just through mm -hmm. your question game, it's, it's, it's you know, you're really opening up the door to people learning that skill set and being in that skill set. It's, you know, so much of my work evolves around the questions and getting people to ask themselves questions, thinking that they want something more in their life that they want. And I think this point that you made that we shut that down. We, we don't really engage that curiosity. Oh, you know, and especially with the example of how many questions a child will ask in a year into how that gets shut down and how over our lifetimes we don't really engage that. And, and it could be a lot of what drives a lot of people coming to me saying, I want something more in my life. I, I don't know mm. what it is because they've shut down that curiosity. So it's, it's Absolutely. really interesting. Really, and I really. have to, um, I have to say with my, my store, you know, um, with what we do with employee engagement and even within my own company, um, we're called Inspire Hub, and there's a nickname internally where we call it Recovery Hub <laughs> because we, uh, we get people coming in from all these different places. 
Um, I actually have to retrain people how to ask questions. Ah, and, interesting. Um, one of the and what do you do then when you're doing so that? So here's everybody who's listening, do this, grab a pencil, grab a pencil and look at it. Everybody has, you know, those pencils. I mean, we've been using pencils since we were kids, right? Right. And, um, and, and what I do with my, my team is I, I say to the person, start asking questions about uh, the pencil. The thing about questions is questions will beget questions. They will. Right. Okay. right. So I'm looking at a pen right now and I'm like, right. so it says Hyatt Regency on it. And I'm like, I wonder who designed this logo. Good question. Um, who is yep. that person? What, what, what does their life look like? Um, who chose the purple color? Uh, you know, so you could just keep going on with that. Right. right? Where, so where I, was this pen made? And it goes on and on. So I cut myself when it comes to the pencil questions, like I've cut myself off at 20 minutes. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So I know I could go longer. I know I could go probably continue forever if I wanted to. Um, I think one of the best statements came from one of my new hires when they, she came in and uh, she was traveling, um, you know, abroad and she had to go into customs, which customs in our world of being connected is like going back to like, I don't know, ancient times for us like what do you mean I can't have my phone on me and all I can do is look at this clock like what happens to us right and so <laughs> it's one of the few places in the world where all of a sudden you're left with your own thoughts and that used to happen a lot but not so much today and so there you are and so she said you know I, I was I was sitting in this place in customs I don't have my phone you can't really talk to anybody so she said it, it passed so fast because she started doing the question game on the bench she was sitting on. And, um, and she said, and 20 minutes just flew by. Oh, that's funny. That's right? awesome. And she goes, and now I have a lot of questions about the benches that are in customs. Places. <laughs> right? And maybe there's some new creative thoughts that pop up out of that Absolutely. too, right? It's like, what, what might, where might a bench come into something else that I'm doing? Right. It's, it's yeah, that's where creativity I, is launched. It's where creativity is launched. It's where, where innovation is launched. I mean, we know that corporations and teams have a huge problem today with engagement, right? Like right. it's just, you know, we, we're, we're looking at the stats. I'm sure you're looking at the stats, the amount of stress that is going on, uh, the amount of anxiety med, meds that people are on the, you know, HR right. is like, people are taking so much more time off than they ever did before. And, you know, really, um, I find, I have found that in healthy teams and I've been saying this for years and then Google just came out with an article, I believe a couple of weeks ago, I saw that absolutely backed it up that in healthy teams, there is an ability to ask questions without repercussion. Right. So you want more engaged people, you want more engaged staff, you want to have a healthier relationship in your personal lives, you want all of that, then learning how to foster questions is one of the key things that you can do to make all of that change. And of course, the great thing that we know about being a world changer and social justice change, it always started where? with somebody asking questions, right. questioning authority, questioning the way things have always been like, Hey, what would happen if women could vote? Like, I mean, <laughs> it always right. starts with a question. Right. And so if we can get into this place uh, where we are really leaning into this, um, I think it has the power to change everything. And I know that every single thing that I've been able to do, the stuff that people say I shouldn't have been able to do for whatever reason in their mind. Um, always came because of, I started asking questions about everything. 
Yeah. And you know what? I, I leverage questions. I do a series of events called Extraordinary Women Connect. And it's, it is all about asking questions. And what happens is when, when you bring an in, a, a question that is, is, is innovative and gets people thinking at a deeper level, um, so it might, say, it might be something like, what would your 70-year-old self tell mm-hmm. you today, right? And if you have that, if you ask somebody that question, what happens is people connect on a deeper level and deeper relationships happen. So meaningful questions lead to meaningful relationships. And I think that's, that's really an important place for us to be able to, to get to know people in a different level. So I love this. I love this. I want to dive in a little bit around bias because I think that um, as a woman, Mm-hmm. At the sea level, you have run into bias, I'm sure, quite a bit. Really? No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. So, where have you? Tell us about where you have experienced bias in this journey, and 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 perhaps how you overcame that bias. Just share a little bit yeah. about that. Um, well, uh, the truth is, every step along the way, right? <laughs> you know, right? I think what's interesting is we have these concepts and precepts in our mind that you know certain things will happen to you in certain places, but. I mean, I have experienced, let's talk about ageism because that's how you and I met on LinkedIn. Exactly. Um, My global, my post that went viral. Um, So I started my career, my career in a Fortune 500 company. I was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I am now 42. I don't have it. I don't care how people know my age. I'm not one of those. I'm like, it is what it is. And there has not been one year where I have not encountered ageism. Right. Think about that. Right. So from like, a 19-year-old, you were, you were probably too young. Right. And, and then I have either, you know, you get into, like, you would have thought that in my 30s. Isn't that, like, the sweet spot? Like, I should have, like, not had, a, like, an age-free zone during then. No. Depending on who I was talking to, I was either too young or too old. Right. right? right. And, and so we, there's this, this whole perception that happens that, you know, whatever this bias is that people hold of you – um, you know, I, I look too young. Um, I, I was, a, I was a woman, you know, I wasn't a man. I was uh, a blonde not brunette. I mean, it's ridiculous. It, it, the, every the different whole, angle of it, every single different angle, you know, I've had, um, I have a, a strange background with my technology, like my religious, I have a religious degree, not a science degree. And so, but I'm in science, right? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, people can't reconcile that in their mind. I, I'm basically, Cammy, a walking dichotomy that confuses people. <laughs> and I find myself having bias if it's not from one, just like those two bosses, right? You're too technical. You don't have, you're not technical enough. Well, right. which one is it, right? Right. right? And so I think, you know, one of those things that comes in in dealing with bias is you just have to understand, I think, Honestly, people are truly innately good. I mean, people say stupid stuff. I believe that too. I say stupid stuff. I mean, thank God people don't just, you know, we are wonderfully complex human beings with so many different thoughts and things going on. We can evolve. There's things I used to think when my, when I was 21 years old about how life would be, I laugh now at 42. I'm like, yeah, that was nice that I used to think that. Not true. (laughs) Right. And so we're in this ever moving spot where biases are going to come against us and prejudices exist, you know, privilege exists. And we have to understand that there is, we are, 
you know, in this universe and we are going through it. It's and complex, so right? It is complex. That's the, that at the end of the day. And the very best thing that we can do is when somebody says something to you, like, I don't know. I mean, I have so many stories, like from everything from people who are like, Oh, sweetie, we're, we're waiting for the consultant, but you can get us our coffee. And oh my. You know, my, my friend burst out laughing. They're like, what? They're like, so she's the consultant. I was like, how about you go get me my coffee? And everybody starts laughing. I'm not a jerk about it. <laughs> right. It's, and, right. And, the, and the gentleman was a lovely person and he came up and he's like, I am so embarrassed. My wife would kill me. He said to me, right. Like, right. and I said, you know what? It, it's okay. I said, yeah. you know, I've, I've said things that I just was like, I wish I could take that back because that's not actually who I am. And I don't even know why I said that. And so I think being open to just believing the best in people and coming into a place, I would much rather create an air of openness with a person when I experience a bias so that they, we can actually talk and dialogue and educate as opposed to like bringing the hammer down and being like, right. you're a jerk. Right? Or throwing up a wall of, of some, a protection or something like that. It's really staying open to the conversation. Yeah, I think that uh, as a leader, you have to have a huge amount of confidence in who you are and knowing who you are um, so that no matter what people say about you, like there's things I hear about myself that makes me laugh. And I'm like, that is not even who I am. Like right. that is, I don't know why that perception's out there. Anybody who spends five minutes with me would know I don't believe that. And yet, you know, I, you hear that, especially when you're, you know, in any public capacity in a public figure, people say, oh, you know, whatever. I've had so many people come to me and say, oh, I, I thought someone told me you were this way. And I was like, well, they, they don't know me. They just right. don't. And right. so you have to have that confidence so that when opinions and biases and prejudices are coming against you, you know who you are you know what you stand for and, and you can actually guide people into a place where they, their paradigm gets shifted, And that's when things get exciting. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. So um, how do you mentor and guide women today? You know what? Um, whenever I have, uh, I, I do have women who reach out to me and have reached out to me to ask me, how do I deal with, you know, particular sexism? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I always say to people is first and foremost, you know, never place yourself, you, your safety is what matters most. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like I, I, I talk about them with that. Every situation is different. Um, when it comes to, you know, mentoring, uh, different women and encouraging them, I think a lot of it is for me is just saying to them, you know, getting, get educated, get educated and don't, don't allow yourself to not bring your very best self into that room. If you know that it's an unfair fight and you know that, you know, there's a competitive disadvantage, then, then get down to work and do double the amount of research. And so when you're standing in that room, you are owning that room, right? right People right. can tell the difference between being well-prepared and, and not. Right. And everyone, I, I earned the respect of my development team who are all male, not because I'm their boss, but because I am, I am the one that's on, you know, on Wired magazine and researching blogs. And I'm like, guys, have you seen this yet? And a lot of the times they haven't. A right. lot of times they're because like, because they haven't taken that step, the, the, the time to do that. Yeah. Well, a lot of the times it's because they're, they're busy building my product. So I'm not, it's not like they're, you know, not working hard, but it's, it's me owning and being prepared and, 
and being the best at what I do um, in that product space so that when I'm challenging things, when I'm working with my team, you know, it's not simply me, it's not simply going through the motions. It's, it's, there's knowledge behind it. There's rationale behind it. And, and I carry that through everything. And I think that's just, that's, that's just good advice. It doesn't matter if you're male or female, that's just, that's how it is. Right. You just need to be prepared. Right. And I think that, um, you know, it's really a sign of your curiosity again, you know, it's like you've been out reading, you know, learning, bringing information in so that you are coming to the table with that, that foundation. Absolutely. So what three pearls of wisdom can you leave our audience today? Oh, that's, that's, uh, you know, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Hone it all in, right? Uh, take your 20 years of experience, Carolyn, and put it down into three points. Uh, yeah, no, um, I think, uh, to recap on some of the things we've already discussed, um, I guess the first would honestly, this sounds really simple and kind of Pollyanna, but uh, whenever you're presented with whatever situation it is, try to believe the best. Oh, um, I like go that. with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're believing I, the best in the people too, right? Yeah, absolutely. You yes. know, even when somebody is being obnoxious, okay, let's talk about that moment, or they're being arrogant um, and they're being condescending. Um, you don't know what's going on in that person's life. I often say to people, you know, um, if you found out, for example, that you know, someone was driving slow in front of you and holding up the, all the traffic, you get angry in the moment, unless you found out that they just found out that they had terminal cancer and that was the last drive they were going to ever take. Suddenly mm-hmm. your perception, that's because you would believe the best of that person. Right? right. So what I always try to do is no matter, no matter how difficult, let me tell you, some people make it difficult, you know, <laughs> to believe the best is I always take that moment and try to believe the best of the person in the situation Um, I have never regretted, never regretted being kind and compassionate and believing the best. Mm -hmm. I have regretted every time I've jumped to conclusions, it usually embarrasses myself, right? Right. Right. So believing the best, Mm -hmm. I think that would be one. I think um, the second one, which is really, really important, is understanding that the criticism of your work is not a criticism of you. Um, you mm-hmm. know, you're doing the very best that you can with, with what you've got. Uh, we all have life that happens and gets in the way. Maybe sometimes we haven't done something that we should have because we were dealing with a really huge tragedy in our life that has happened in my own life, right? Mm-hmm. I look back mm-hmm. at certain seasons. And so getting into a place where you understand and look at people in a more of a science, when it comes to your work, more like a scientific approach, that whatever you put out into the universe, in my case, it's the I have app right? And we're helping companies with employee engagement and all these different things that whatever you put out into the universe, if someone comes back and is giving a critique at it, um, don't be offended. It's not about you. Instead, lean into that with your questions and, and they're giving you the best gift in the world is mm-hmm. by giving you that critical comment because it's giving you something that you can go make better. And right. so don't... And look at it as a gift, Right. Absolutely. You know, criticism of your work, of your products, of your project, even sometimes of you. I have to say that sometimes the criticisms I've received haven't been fair, but sometimes they have. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I jokingly say to my team, I know I'm a handful. God bless you all. Like, I get it. Right. <laughs> like, and they all laugh. Um, but, you know, being open to that, I think that is really important. And 
I think, you know, we've been talking about it, this whole thing, but the final and most important piece of the pearl, I would say is stay curious. Right. If you don't know, if you haven't been curious about anything in a really long time, then just start by, you know, I don't know, go sit on a bench, ask some questions, <laughs> look at your pen or your pencil, like start really getting curious um, about this world that we live in. There is, you know, I would love, you know, there's just so much. I mean, we live in an ever expanding universe. Think about that. Right. Like that right. means that for the rest of time into eternity, there is something new to be discovering. Right. Like I, right. I just think it's absolutely fascinating. And I wake up every day and, um, you know, some days I have boring Mondays days. I am human, right? I'm right, tired. Right. And, mm -hmm. But staying curious will, um, I think it will keep you young. It will keep you fresh and it will certainly keep you competitive. Right. And, um, and that would be, you know, my final piece, my pearl, if you will. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's like being in awe of whatever happens to be around us can open up our world to more that's in the world. So I, I, I love the curiosity piece. Absolutely. Well, this has been fabulous, Carolyn. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. And, um, really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me, Cammie. This has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammieGilmer.com find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.